Welcome back to the Wizards of Ecom podcast. This is episode number 198. My name is Carlos Alvarez and I'll be your host for the show. I have an amazing guest on today's show, Sean Brandt. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks, Carlos. Happy, uh, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Um, so you're, you're, you're recording this in Alberta, Canada, and I am in Miami, Florida. I assume our weather is very different right about now. <laughs> yeah, this is the worst time of year in, in my neck of the woods because we get random snowfalls for like 10 centimeters and then they melt by sundown. And so you're just constantly, it's just playing with us that summer's coming, but it's not here. Yeah, we are at a very chilly, I think 88 degrees in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. So, I don't mean to rub it in. Um, Sean, you were introduced to me as the conversion crusader. Um, you're a veteran designer and brand builder who's an expert on the customer journey, probably the most important thing in all of e-commerce, and specifically on customer journey, identifying and removing uh, friction points on this customer journey, which to me kind of seemed like the scrum master of customer journey. <laughs> And finally, you're the founder of Audit, um, O-D-D-I-T. I hope I spelled that right because I didn't spell it beforehand, but O-D-D-I-T, um, yeah. audit.com, a frictionless way for brands to get the lowdown on what works and doesn't work on their site. So did I, I have a bazillion questions in all of that. Today, though, um, I'd love to take advantage of your expertise, um, especially your expertise in removing friction and talk about... Um, so that it's digestible. The top three, I'm sure you've come across with all your data, a bazillion, but top three most important elements of a brand's homepage. Um, you've probably lost track of all the friction you've removed uh, from, <laughs> from all the friction you've removed fr from this area. Again, we've not met before. I'm dying to get to know more about you. I'm sure listeners are going to want to know more about you. Um, I avoid this part of the show uh, usually so we could get right to the meat and potatoes, but I, I suspect that there's a, a lot of stuff I want to know under the hood after that introduction. So can you tell me a little bit more about you? Um, where does your, where do your designer and brand building expertise, like where, where does that stem from and why the obsession with the customer journey and how does that lead to audit? Like walk me through yeah. that. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, first off the, the crusader comment, I don't know who made that intro, but that's I'm, I'm very flattered, but that's uh, that's a uh, big shoes to fill. So I hope I can fill it for the listeners here. Um, I think that uh, most of my interest in in customer journeys and and, and removing friction comes from um, most of my career, which was uh, I helped um, build a large design product design agency, digital product design agency called Verset. Um, started that in 2010 um, with some business partners. I uh, was creative director there for, for almost a decade. And um, we grew that to four different city or four offices in um, New York, Miami, uh, Paris, and Toronto. And we had about 80 designers. Um, a lot of our customers were Fortune 500 brands with really long customer journeys. So like as an example, one of them was um, a very large travel application. Um, and so when you're looking at, as an example, booking a flight, a rental car, a hotel, and a taxi at the airport in the same booking flow, you know, there's up to 60, 70 interactions, right? Whereas in an e-com site, we're talking, could be as simple as one if you're on Amazon and you've been a user for a while, right? So it, 
finding ways to remove friction in a long customer journey like that, one is really effective and two is really difficult because there's just so many things that need to be communicated properly throughout there. Um, so my interest in it comes from actually working firsthand on a lot of long form customer journeys, as I would call them. Um, the reason I exited uh, that agency is I just kind of got sick of the agency lifestyle. It was it became much more about upselling services and higher retainer fees than it did about actually providing effective designs. Um, so, you know, still ton of uh, merit in that business. And I respect the, the current founders that are still running it um, a lot, but this wasn't for me anymore. So I exited that and uh, I actually invested with some other uh, partners in a performance marketing agency. So paid media, uh, Facebook ads, that kind of thing. And one of the gaps we saw in all of these DTC brands was they're all spending a ton of money every month, you know, 50 to 250 grand a month on paid marketing, Facebook, TikTok, whatever. And they were spending, you know, 1% of that on their actual UX, their journey on site. And so they're clicking on an ad, getting to the site. And then there's another seven clicks, eight clicks in a lot of cases to get them to purchase. So you're spending 250 grand on the one click and five grand on the other seven clicks, which to me was just bonkers. Um, so we actually started sending site teardowns and audits, UX audits to these customers from this other at our agency, at the paid media agency, and uh, the customers were loving them and they kind of naturally increased conversion. It actually wasn't our intent. Um, and that's kind of how we ended up doing audit. Um, we saw an opening there to produce these reports for any DTC brand and we kind of put a product packaging over essentially a service offering and and uh, it's been going really well we've we've been around for 14 months now we've had over 1500 d2c brands come through audit um not all of them buying full reports but in some way or another we've interacted with 1500 brands we've learned a lot um on the plus and negative side of things um and i think the the main thing that we look at when we're we're going through these different sites is exactly those things that we were learning when building um, the other agency, which is how do we remove friction from the customer journey? I think that's one of the, the main things that D2C brands struggle with. Um, and, and they really shouldn't be because most of them are using templates that are provided by Shopify. Um, so those templates should be coming in pretty seamless. And a lot of them are, but they also make it very easy to add clutter through apps and through uh, different parts of the Shopify ecosystem. So it's kind of our job to just help help dial that in, I guess. That's, that's amazing. Let, let me see if I'm, if I'm getting it right. So like from, you have a multi-country uh, design agency, like basically the fortune 500 version of design pickle, like if you will, like it's just like really high end design agency. The, the next, when you exit that, it sounded like you said you got into a media buying agency, like you, you partnered in that, or you helped start one. Does that convert? to audit or and, and it, by the way it's audit.co right i think i said audit.com in the .co, yeah sorry yeah, yeah. it's it's dot co um it, am i understanding that right it, when you say does it convert do you mean do they have any relationship yeah do you like just just you, you recognize this what's going on with the clients and then you're like hey look um we found something here. Let's divert all of our efforts, redo our mission statement, if you will, and do all that. And then it becomes audit. Or do you see that and you leave? And are they two different entities now? Yeah, it was, it was a little more, I wish it was super planned, but it wasn't. Um, it was, 
I had taken a few years off and just did private consulting uh, after I sold, um, after I exited the agency. And um, I, I did a few different things. I launched a restaurant. I, I, you know, just I've, I've done a lot of businesses over the years and um, I was living in Miami. And um, we had someone from our past reach out and said, hey, I'm, I, I'm doing really great in paid media. Um, you, you have helped build a really big agency. I want to scale. Can you help me with that side of it? And to be honest, I have no interest in the agency model, but I saw a lot of potential in the business. So my partners and I invested in this person, Chris um, McCoolin, and helped him scale it into an agency. So I was never day-to-day or active in that. It was more of just an investment and advisor role. And we just kind of saw the need for audit. And when we, when it, we saw that it was working, we, we started audit from there. It was never the same company or anything like that. Um, so they are two different companies, both existing right now. And we do share a lot of customers. Um, we push audit customers to, to Coolin for paid media and we Coolin pushes customers to us for uh, CRO in a lot of cases. For sure. Are, are you familiar with Russell Brunson? I mean, a lot of people in the space are, but are you familiar with him at all? No. So, so Russell Brunson's this, this digital marketer, right? He, he, he gets these complicated, you know, marketing and design things and things that I feel like I'm a veteran at, and it still takes me 20 minutes to communicate. And he has this gift for turning it into a one-liner that a fifth grader can understand, right? Um, Could you attempt to do that with uh, two questions? And we we just pick whichever one you want first, but I want anyone listening to this to really get the most out of this episode. So you're probably going to find these two questions boring. You could do it asleep. But one is what is a UX audit? Like what goes into that? Like what does that mean in in plain yeah. English, non-designer speak? The yeah. other one is what is a customer journey in your own words? If you were talking to somebody who has never started a business, never sold anything online, and they're thinking about learning this in college, like and, you, and they want to know the most exciting definition of what it is, pick whichever one you want first. So you, the first one was UX, right? Yeah. What is a UX audit? So UX audit is just, just to remove all the jargon, UX is user experience. Um, that can be applied to a physical space that can be applied to a digital ecosystem, like a website. Um, user experience is really um, applied to like quite literally the user's experience with your, whatever you're selling, right? So in I, like a good example of a user experience in the physical world would be Ikea's unique user experience to shopping, right? They kind of transformed how you would, attempt retail by forcing people into this maze that you have to go through in a lot of cases, which is extremely frustrating for a lot of people, extremely profitable for them. Um, the other, the other side of it is the digital UX, which is more what we do. So a UX audit is taking your user experience journey, um, in our case, focused on your website. So from that second that they get to your website to hopefully that time when they get that little notification that says, congrats, you just purchased hundred dollars worth of our product end-to-end what's happening there, what about it is positive, what about it is negative, what's working, what's not, and, and hopefully give you a lot of advice on things that we can either remove or things that we can add that are going to make that more efficient, more profitable, um, and just generally a more trusting uh, experience. And when I say trusting, it's, it, it really is, you know, when, when you're comparing brands that have had success and brands that haven't, mostly what's happening, whether it's a website, physical space, is trust. They either have built trust with the customer or they haven't. And that's about as simple as it can be put. And so 
most of what we're doing in a UX audit is we're going through your experiencing your experience and making sure that you're building trust every chance you can. And, and the other question, Oh, let me take a step back. So for another example, you gave Ikea, like my, my blood pressure went up. I, I, I can, <laughs> I can, I can see, I can see why it's good for them. And I feel like almost like a minotaur lost in a labyrinth or something oh, like, yeah. and then they kill your Wi-Fi. There's like an intentional attempt to like disable your mm-hmm. signal. So you're totally, you, you can't even like go with your, your, your partner and just like go through this and just like fiddle around on your emails. Like you can't do anything. You can't do anything, but look at what they want you to look at. Yeah. Um, it's I feel, crazy. I feel like Starbucks has a good one too. Would that be another good example of like one that a lot of people know, like, or do you think it's oh. bad with your experience? No, they're, I mean, their digital experience and how they've like, I, I can't remember the exact number, but the, the experience they've created uh, through their app um, and how they, how they not force, but highly um, force you to use the app to pay. I think it's something like, it was something like in the billions of, of money that they're holding at any given time for customers that hasn't been spent. I think it, it, the YouTube episode I was watching was something like they, they were actually the biggest bank in America or something because they had so much funds of customers sitting in, in this application. I mean, you can't really argue with it. They've done an amazing job. And I think as they transition more away from physical locations, which they are, you know, they're intentionally shutting locations down to be more delivery only and drive through only. Um, I mean, it makes sense. You just blew me away with two things that now seem super obvious and they're unrelated to the show. But one, I, I regularly have a hundred bucks sitting in that app. I never looked at it as a, how many other people are doing the same thing and what sort of benefit does that allow them? Um, that's powerful. And the other one, I am noticing certain Starbucks shutting down, which confused me because they got to be the most profitable, you know, retailer on yeah. earth. It feels like. Yeah. But then right across the street, another one's opening with a drive-through. Um, I, I'd love to, after the recording, you mentioned there's like a YouTube video or something that's going towards Starbucks intentionally moving towards drive-through and delivery and yeah. away from in-person stores. That's, that's, that's wild. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I remember when I was first getting, like I did I, in my earlier days, I did a lot of advising for um, retail and restaurants and, and, you know, the, the, you'd always look at it like, oh, well, if there's a Starbucks in the area, then it's probably a great area, right? Because they do their research. And, and if you were looking at a leasable space and, and a Starbucks had closed there, it was like, what do you mean a Starbucks is closed here, right? Like that doesn't happen. Um, and so I think that mentality of them closing stores has, because they haven't communicated it that well, um, people look at it like, oh, they're not doing great or retail's failing. And that's actually not the case. The, the retail is insanity right now. Um, they just realized that bringing people in the shops to sit and work on their laptops has zero profit and they don't need to build culture as much anymore. So why take up a thousand square foot lease when it can be 500 with a window? That's basically what it comes down to. I love it. I, I, I wonder though, does that, does that allow, and like I'm rabbit holing now, we're going to pull this back, but like, I'm wondering, <laughs> does that, does that allow you now like a competitor to say, nobody has a spot for people to gather and work and like, they're just like I, I, dropping a defense. No, I, I totally, I totally think so. Unfortunately, I don't think they'll, you know, 
North America in particular will ever get away from the power of Starbucks. But I, I do think it creates a really unique and awesome opening for local businesses and local coffee shops to host those people more and um, actually is a benefit to them that Starbucks is moving towards that model. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rein it. I'm going to rein in my thousand more questions about this. I, I'd love to be having drink. No, this is me. Like I'd love to be sitting down having drinks with you talking about this. So you, you explained amazingly, like what is UX design now? How about customer journey? So customer journey is a little more complicated um, because it, it can, you know, if we take a, a website experience that maybe the audit is O D D I T is auditing um, it, it, customer journey for me is a way higher lens. Um, it comes from so many different factors, um, at like it, it really starts, it could start with like seeing it at a, at a friend's house and then talking about it. And then you're looking it up later online. And it really is like, there's a lot of different paths, I guess. And so a customer journey can be a ton of different ways to get to a, purchasing a product. The one that we're focused on is that digital product, uh, sorry, the digital customer journey. So when they open up their phone and they open Instagram, you know, and they click on an ad and then they go to the website and then they go to the product page and then they're reading about the mantra of the company. And and really the customer journey is, let's say that uh, just to keep it simple, there's 50% of the customers coming to your website or your product that know about you or they they care about your, you know, um, maybe a cause you're giving back to or how the product is made and these types of things. There's going to be a product journey in that site that caters to them, right? It's going to allow them to read more about your company, how the product is made, all these different things. And then it's going to push you towards purchasing. And then there's the other customer who comes in and they're like, I don't really give a shit if it's organic. I need, I need X and I need it now. And there's going to be an, an alternate customer journey that's a little simpler and UX designers are the ones developing that. And in a lot of cases, a lot of data and, and things like that. But they're basically saying, let's make sure that there's multiple paths here, multiple customer journeys. Um, and so, you know, certain products, certain sites, whether it's digital or physical, um, have different versions of that. And, and I think there's no right answer. I think every brand's a little different, right? Like certain products are more complex. Um, like to give you two really simple examples. We have one customer that sells um, a nine-month postpartum or a 12-month, sorry, postpartum subscription uh, for, for new mothers. And every month is three different products. So you've got 36 products you have to communicate to your user to get them to subscribe, right? It's not month to month, something the same. You've got to communicate 36 products before they're going to purchase. And then you've got to get them to commit to a year of your product. That's a really hard customer journey that a lot of communication points, a lot of education, right? And then there's a customer that we have that sells really great, simple um, activewear shorts, right? That customer journey is easy. They fit nice. They feel nice. I can sweat in them. They don't stink. Like you give those four bullets and an add to cart button. A lot of the times you're going to win out and they're going to buy. And that customer journey is a lot shorter. So it really is um, very diverse. There's no simple answer, but the, the short story is the customer journey is essentially exactly that. What is the journey a normal customer, an average customer takes to get from point A to point B, point B being, you know, they're holding their product, your, your product shows up in their door in a box. That's awesome. Do you, are you familiar with the brand uh, Athletic Greens? I am. I actually drank one this morning. <laughs> what did you think? So 
to be totally honest, um, we get a lot of products sent to us through our agency when we're um, dealing with new brands. So I, I tested it out because we had a bunch in the office and uh, I was just starting up on a Peloton kick uh, to try and cut out, uh, cut out wine for the first part of the year. And I don't know if it was placebo or what, but I just felt better. Um, admittedly, I was also starting microdosing mushrooms in my coffee at that same time. So that, I don't know what was working, what was it, but I, I really loved it. And I, even if it was placebo, I kind of always make this argument. Like if it was placebo, I still feel better. Um, so I've actually been taking it every day since. So I think I'm two months in to, to doing it. And I mean, it's not like a noticeable, like I feel a certain way or anything, but it's definitely having an effect on my health. No question. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of it. Their customer journey obviously rocked it with me. Like um, I'm on their, their oil pills, their whatever yeah. it's called, salmon oil, whatever oils I'm on these drops yeah. and everything from them. Like I've bought into the whole thing that they, they killed it on that one, but I'm impressed with their entire journey so far from save space in your cupboard to like everything mm-hmm. about it. Um, they've, they, they've hit all of my, uh, check boxes. So curious. Yeah. And yeah, whether it's, I think what they did really well that, that no one was doing that well is they said, okay, well, the powder itself, right. Athletic greens is, is the product we're selling. But what people are most excited about other than that is that there's like eight other things that are a part of that product journey for them. The, the unboxing, the, the shaker, the scoop, that's not, this is cheap, shitty piece of plastic, all these different elements, right. That are like mostly what people are actually excited about. They're not even what they're selling. They're additional elements, but that customer journey of unboxing and, you know, how, how well they did with influencers. I mean, that was critical to their sex, even sex, their success, even more so than the product itself, in my opinion. Yeah. That scooper is pretty serious. Yeah. That's a legit scooper. Yeah. I was going to like live in the family forever. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. So any, everybody listening to this now knows, and I feel like I even, I thought I knew everything about the customer journey, but I think for me, there was a, from the moment you visited the website until you bought the product, but you just really expanded my mind on that. Like it goes way after that. And it happens, it can happen way before that. Um, HubSpot came to mind actually, when you were describing it, like the, the pre and the post what, um, and we also know what a UX audit is. It sounds very involved. Um, your, your, your company audit.co provides these, which is pretty like, I'm already thinking about like what site I'm going to, try to reach out and well, not try because there's not a, it's just a straight go to the website, right? I don't have to it deal is. with anyone. I could just purchase something and plug in my website. How does that work? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty seamless process. A lot of customers initially were pretty uh, against it because they're like, well, what do you mean? There's no call. Um, but <laughs> our approach is really, um, it, it's intended to be not, I don't want to say seamless because that's not necessarily why we did it. The reason that there's no call or onboarding or like back and forth is because, and we say this to our customers all the time, we actually don't want to ever deal with you again. We want to help you increase your conversion. We want to educate you and we want you to sail off into the sunset and be successful. We're not selling you ongoing services. We're not trying to sell you a long-term contract. And the benefit to us and the benefit to them is that it gives us the ability to be completely and totally honest, right? I'm not, I'm not kind of holding back on my feedback. I'm not, playing nice um, because I want to, you know, impress them or, or build this certain rapport with them. 
and not to put anything against that. I think there's a ton of value in that and merit in that for an agency format. But for us, it's like, there's no, we're not going to benefit them by holding back in any way. So what I like about that process is when I don't have a relationship with these brands, I feel less of a, a, a need to like butter them up and, and sugarcoat it. And to me, they're getting way more value in that format. So yeah, it is that simple. You, you go in, if you, you know, if, if you trust audit enough from our site and from our Twitter or wherever you found us, you go in, you buy the report, um, you get it back four weeks later. And uh, if you don't like it or you don't find conversion uh, assistance or education or whatever you were looking for in it, um, we refund you completely. So, so prior to, prior to us officially recording, I was trying to like, I was trying to like label it, label audit. Right. And I referred to it as a technology or a software. You educated on me on why it's not. You're also mentioning we in that we do this. So I'm, I'm, to me, that means there's not just this AI on the background spitting something out. Well, who, who is we? Who are these people and why are they qualified to be, in addition to you, to be able to look at this site? And what's the turnaround like for that? Yeah, so it just recently became we. Um, I mean, it's always been my partners and I, but um, a recent influx in the last, uh, as of 2022, we've, we've had to increase our team. So there's actually uh, a team of four auditors and then also um, marketing and strategy people. Um, but yeah, the, the we in, in the auditing case is, is um, senior UX designers with similar backgrounds to me. Um, a lot of the recommendations and the way that we're approaching things are data-driven. We have a partnership with a, a large A-B testing firm that helps us always kind of learn and evolve our recommendations to make sure we're kind of at the, at the front, at the cutting edge of what's working and what's not in e-commerce. Um, and the actual turnaround on that to answer the second part of the question is um, four weeks in most cases. It used to be two weeks because we were just starting out and it was slower. Um, by slower, I mean, sorry, less sales. But since we're kind of in a growth growth spurt and having a little bit of growing pains, we had to extend the, uh, the turnaround time. So it's four weeks right now. It seems super affordable too. I, I mean, I, I don't want to throw around exact numbers. You're very transparent about it on the site though. I just didn't get a chance to look at all the numbers. So I don't want to say a number and lead somebody there and it's not. But um, I, I saw, it seemed like two different places where it was like under 5K. And for me, that means I, I'm at, I utilize one or two of the recommendations that you send my way. I'm immediately recouping that. Immediately, you know, within like the first week or two, I'm, I'm recouping that. So it seemed, it seemed very affordable. Um, Based on all this information that you've been able to gather from this AB testing agency, your experiences, I want to get into like what we promised the people on the show today. So like what, like what, what is, we're going to get into three. You don't have to put them in order. If you can, that would be great. But top three uh, points of friction that people should be aware of that they should address on a website's homepage. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to try and keep it as ap- applicable to anyone as possible. I'm going to do my best. Um, so I think the the number one first thing that I would focus on, and we mostly audit D2C brands, so direct-to-consumer brands that are selling a specific product, but we also audit, we'll get customers come to us that are selling insurance and shit, and all these things apply to them as well. So just wanted to put that caveat in there. I think the main thing that I would do first is install a product like Hotjar, it's going to tell you where your users are currently looking, what they're clicking, what's happening, what's not. That's not the 
you know, that's not to say that it's exactly um, going to answer all your questions, but it's going to give you an idea of what your existing customer base is doing. And I think the main thing you're going to learn there is that most of your consumers never get past maybe two scrolls on your site, right? So that first fold that they see and the second fold, most of them never get past that. And so the first thing I'm going to say is optimize that. If what you sell, why you sell it, why it's valuable and an action to purchase it is not in that first two folds, you're missing revenue every single day. Um, and so a lot of brands just, they bury, and, and you see it a lot more in these long form, like as seen on TV type products where it's just like, holy hell, does this page ever stop? And then there's a buy box at the bottom. For whatever weird cosmic reason, these work for them. I, I, I can't explain it, unfortunately, but certain sites it works, most it does not. So you, what you want to do is at the very top, just make sure you're communicating what the product is, what makes you great and give them action to not add to cart, but to shop it, right? To go to the next stage in the customer journey, super critical and something that a lot of brands miss. They, they just promote a sale or an offer or something and, and they just forget completely that a lot of these users coming from ads have never heard them before. They don't know their name. They don't know their logo. They don't know their product. And you know, they don't give a shit about an, a sale for a product they've never heard of before. You really, you have to get them in and, and get them into a little bit of brand belief before you're going to sell them something. Can you, I'm, I'm agreeing with that, but some of what you said seemed a little conflicting. So you're, you're communicating what your brand is about, or at least to me, you're communicating what yeah. your brand is about. Someone just you know popped over here from an ad and what you sell or what you're offering is. And I think you said there was a CTA in there. So if you're not selling when they first come, what is that CTA? Yeah, sorry. I could have been a lot more clear there. So it, when I say communicating it, 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 I mean that in the sense of copywriting and visuals, right? So show the product, tell them what it is and why it's great, right? So that could be uh, whatever, Carlos's protein powder. Here's the two things that make it better or different than a competitor or, you know, whether it's a competitive advantage or just a value proposition. And then when the action or the CTA, it really is dependent on, you know, how many SKUs you have. If you have 400 SKUs of that protein powder, maybe you're pushing them to a collections page, right. To pick their flavor or whatever. If it's athletic greens, you're pushing them to the one starter kit that you want to sell every consumer that comes on the site. Right. And that's the CTA. You're going to push them to the product page to purchase that one kit. So it, that part of it is is definitely uh, dependent on the product, but in general, you want to show and tell them what you make, why it's great, and give them an action to take the next step, whatever that next step is. No, oh, that makes perfect sense. What what would the second one be? So that's a lot to communicate there. So that's just yeah, no, it is. It's it's very difficult, and that's why a lot of brands don't do it well. So that that's a lot of going back and forth with a copywriter if a person's not a copywriter themselves. Um, Showing that I'm imagining, I'm, I'm trying to think of of one of my you know businesses right now, which is an e-commerce school. It's an in-person e-commerce school. So I imagine I'm showing that with an image of people in a classroom setting learning something. Uh, otherwise, I'm gonna waste a lot of words communicating that. Plus, there's gonna be uh, a learn and this unique way of learning that that yeah. that happens here. Um, and the CTA goes to an amazing sales page. That's 50,000 feet view, uh, not audit approved. We'll put that out there, but like 50,000 no, foot view. 
I, I will add one little little snippet there that we we recommend to a lot of customers that struggle with this, and a lot of them don't have copywriters to go to. Right, it's it's their husband and wife. They're running this out of their basement in a lot of cases, and I think one of the things that I constantly advise customers to do, and we do ourselves as well, is don't use a copywriter, even if you can afford one. Um, your best copywriter for your product is your customer. You you've already got the right headline for how to describe your product in your customer reviews and customer feedback, whatever the most consistent things that people are saying about your product or your brand, that's what you should be communicating, right? If they're, you're constantly seeing this piece of feedback come up or this something in a review, that's what you need to be focusing on. And in a lot of cases, you just don't even need to ever write the headline, just literally post a customer review quote in that headline box. You don't have to write anything. Um, it's way more authentic. It builds trust faster and it doesn't feel fake. I love that. So what is that like a scrolling gallery of the reviews that you get? Yeah. I mean, I, for that, for, for the very top of your homepage header, it should just be one. Um, just pick that kind of like punchy tells me what I need to know without, you know, while still leaving me intrigued kind of thing. Um, but yeah, definitely further down the site, having a bunch of those is awesome. Okay. What would the, what would the second one be? So the second one is a little tougher for smaller brands, um, but there's ways around that. Um, the second one is, is like I was mentioning earlier, the difference between successful brands and, and you know newer brands that are trying to make their mark is trust. So I think the second one is finding ways to build trust. And the ways that we do that with audit is um, through multiple ways, but one is reviews. So how do we surface reviews in an effective way? That can be, like you mentioned, maybe it's a scrolling carousel of, of positive reviews. Um, it's also the total number of reviews. It has a really great effect, right? So if someone sees 4.8 stars, four reviews, I mean, okay, it's probably their mom, their dad, their aunt, and their sister. If I see 4.8 stars and 6,000 reviews, which is obviously a lot more, but like that, regardless of what the reviews are, more trust, right? Because it's clear that more people have used this than they didn't, you know, burn their skin when they put the cream on kind of thing. Um, so that's one way. Another way is, is surfacing, you know, you see it a lot now press, you know, as seen on, I think that one in particular might be losing a little bit of its weight because you can kind of just pay these brands to publish you in a random article and it, it just doesn't feel as authentic anymore. Um, so we always say like, if it's, if it is real press, like pull in a nice little pull quote from them. I think that's a great way to build more trust. Um, and then probably the biggest way to build trust is to actually like show people using it. So like, as an example, going into your Instagram or your Facebook and finding people using the product and posting about it and just publish that on your site directly. Right. It's a, maybe it's a video, maybe it's a, like a, uh, a TikTok or whatever, it depends what your brand is, but finding real UGC and using that on your site to sell the product, just like using your customers as copywriters, it's the best way to sell the product because there's just so much, there's so many choices for no matter what the product is, there's just so many choices. And so finding products that other customers approve of, and it's evident that they're not a stock photo and a stock review that someone wrote, um, it's, a, it's a huge trust builder. So number two is finding ways to build trust. And I think there's a ton of ways outside of reviews you can do that. I love how number two tied really into number one. So I just gave some random example of one of my businesses and you mentioned like a testimonial um, would be perfect. It just so happens that that testimonial would also build trust because uh, yes. to a degree, yeah. right? So like 
Yeah. They, they, they actually tied really well in together. Um, well, how, how about number three? Oh man. Number three is a little trickier, but I think it's, it's the main thing that we're doing when we're going through sites is trying not to cripple users with decisions. So, you know, no matter how complex your product offering is, I think it's important to make decisions simple. Um, we deal with a lot of brands where, you know, it's like, here's who we are. And then there's 75 different versions of buying the same thing down their page. Right. And talking about customer journey, it, it would kind of be like Ikea doing the same model and every section of that store is carpets. You would feel like you're going insane and you'd want to kill someone more than you already do walking through that store. And it's the same thing with a UX, right? If, if you have a diverse product catalog, then surface simple category options to jump to these things. Don't inundate the user with a thousand decision points throughout the page. So I think that the number three is, is finding ways to simplify your customer journey. Um, find out, you know, what are your best selling products surface those first. Okay. And then maybe what are your new products that you really want to push? Maybe those are surface second. And then if you really need to add more that they can't just, you know, explore in the navigation, you can maybe add like, Hey, just explore our catalog. But the real goal on your, on your homepage is to give them a few jumping off points to explore further, not to sell them the product or add to cart from the homepage. It, it's to prompt exploration and get them where they need to go. Just like your navigation and your, in your website, right? You're trying to give them this nice little snippet of like, okay, what are you looking for? Let us help you. And I think too many brands try and sell the product right on the homepage, which is really hard to do. When I say sell, I mean, add to cart directly from the homepage. It's people don't do that very often. Um, unless you sell one product and it's your only page. I love the prompt exploration on homepage. Uh, so when you, when you were describing removing complexity or like narrowing down what the person should you want to sell them um, ultimately, or you want them to be aware of, um, I just thought of like the salad dressing aisle. I recently tried to get some like anti like acid reflux approved dressing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I go to the salad dressing aisle. I've never spent so long looking at it. And there was a lot of options. Like there was, it was overwhelming. I just wanted to leave. And I was just like, I'm going to Amazon and I'm just going to type in acid reflux and they're going to, I'm going to let them serve me up whatever they want. Is yeah. that sort of what you mean as far as eliminating that, that anxiety? No, totally. It, it is. It, it definitely is. I think it's, in, the, in that scenario and in Amazon scenario, um, we're dealing with marketplaces. So it becomes a lot harder to remove decision paralysis because you're, you're trying to surface equally all of your customers, which is all these brands, you know, their shelf space, digital or physical. And so it becomes hard to say, hey, you know, here's a section of the ones that we like best. They probably can't, in most cases, they can't do that. Amazon sells that, right? But um, it's a little harder in those cases. But yes, you're trying to... You're trying to, rather than say, here's every salad dressing in the world, say, hey, here's a category of gluten-free ones. And here's some acid reflux ones. And you know what I mean? Like you're trying to segment them in a way that's like, let's just get you into the right bucket first. And then we'll just keep making that bucket smaller until you have this thing's at your door. You know what I mean? It, it, so, it, so, it sounds like these three could all, like I was, I was wanted to do a quick recap, but it sounds like these three could really be recapped in in the building, like basically don't try to make the top of your homepage, a sales page, um, build trust, uh, communicate what you're about prompt exploration. Like that, that sums up what you should be doing. Um, yeah. and all the other things like 
don't make it too complex. That's a lot of friction. Um, don't skip the dating stage, like build trust uh, and, and take an opportunity to communicate what you're about and why it's different, which would prompt exploration. That's a fair uh, recap. That is, yeah. And I, I think one thing that a lot of brands miss out on is, and, and it kind of speaks against our whole mantra at Audit of helping you sell more. But I think a lot of brands focus too much on the data and they look at what happens to my conversion rate. Or, you know, when someone comes to my site, how often are they actually purchasing? And there's a part of that conversion rate that is, is definitely easy to quantify it. That's just simply traffic versus purchases. But I think there's a part of conversion rate that's works far beyond that. And that's why a lot of these brands that have been around hundred years are still around is they're great at building trust and they're great at um, having long-term value, providing long-term value to their customers. So by doing these types of things on your homepage versus focusing on how the hell do I get this product in their cart fast, 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 maybe it is deterring some users, right? And you're losing some of that short-term sale. But in our opinion, that long-term funnel of building, you know, brand ambassadors, people that actually like truly believe in the brand and they keep buying, right? Like me with Athletic Greens or some of the holding brands that I've been wearing for a decade, like they build brand trust with me. Their UX on their site and how hard they sell me is irrelevant to me. I don't even give a shit. I don't even pay attention to it anymore, right? I just go buy. And that's really what we're trying to do is help brands get into a state where, you know, whether they deserve it or not, trying to build more trust with customers so that they, you know, whether they buy that time or not, they're talking to their friends about it. There's a trust built there where there's, it feels more like something that you can get into versus just buy and try out. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. I want to, I have a million questions, but I want to be, I want to start bringing this to a close. The, what we said though about the, or my, my crazy example with the salad dressings and overwhelmed and narrowing it down does that mean you're against pop-ups? Like where do pop-ups fit into that? Cause like they're looking at a selection. Are you anti-pop-up? No, I, pop-ups are huge. <laughs> I think there, I, I think my caveat to pop-ups is, is there's a time and a place. Um, I think, you know, I was on a site yesterday and I, I had the pop-up. It hit me before I could even see what the hell their logo was. And then I closed it. And it hit me again on the next page, right? So the two issues there. One, I, I don't care about the discount as much if I don't know what I'm buying, right? So give them a chance to learn what the hell you sell before you surface the discount. And the second is, if I, it's kind of like if you walk into the store at Home Depot and there's a guy selling the credit card, you know what I mean? He's like, hey, like get this credit card, 10% off purchase. It's kind of like if he walked, if you walked in and he sold you that and then at the till, he's waiting for you again. And he's like, are you sure? It's like, now I have a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, I'm just pissed off at you. Whether or not I want that discount or not, I just, I'm angry. And it's the same thing. Like if I said no to this, I closed the pop-up. Why are you, why are you surfacing it again? Regardless of where I am on the site. So I think there's a time and a place. They're very effective. The, the short story is take your time on site. If you want to simplify it, look at your Google analytics. And let's say your average time on site by a user is 30 seconds. Surface the pop-up at 15. If it's a minute, surface it at 30. To me, that you're kind of meeting in the middle, literally, and you're giving users the opportunity to learn a little more about you before you hit them in the face with, you know, a hard sell. Well, for, for my own curiosity, because I'm really thinking about 
going on audit.co and, and getting, uh, I can think of a ton of my clients that would love this. I can think <laughs> of a ton, a ton of my sites that could use this, my businesses. So do you have an example on the site or do you have something that you could link to? You could remove the branding, like whoever the client was, um, that shows an example of what somebody would get back on an audit. There is a sample report on the site. Um, I'll send it to you. Um, it's not like a full end-to-end report because we don't share our clients um, with them. And unfortunately, we've never created like a generic one. But um, I'd be happy to share with you a, a customer one if, for you personally if you want to look. Um, on the site, though, there is a sample for anyone else listening of, of yeah, some I, of the snippets. I, I, yeah, I'm looking at it. Uh, it was it's It opened up in Adobe Acrobat, like um, 17 pages long. It looks extremely thorough like this yeah it's it's kind of just it's just giving you kind of examples from past reports i mean the average i don't know it depends on the site obviously it's different in every case but the reports range anywhere from 35 to 50 55 pages depending on the website and what you buy i guess okay yeah yeah i could get i could totally get lost in in this audit so um let's be respectful of your time uh what uh, what's the best way for somebody to, oh, again, for somebody to see the audit, I'm going to link to that in the show notes, but um, at audit.co, O-D-D-I, D as in dog, O-D-D-I-T.co.co. Um, I'll link to that as well in the show notes. Um, what's the best way for somebody to get a hold of you if they had questions about the show, um, if they want to work with you and we somehow didn't cover um, yeah. any of these questions? What's the best way? Um. I mean, you can go to the site. We, you can chat with it. Like when you hit the chat bot on the site, you're literally talking with me and my partner in, in our Slack. It triggers into our Slack. So you're actually talking with us, not, not some bot. Um, that's one option. Alternatively, um, we publish a ton of our content uh, that, and our learnings on Twitter. So um, the Twitter handle is at its audit, um, I-T-S-O-D-D-I-T. We publish a lot of content there. So if you're interested in what we do and how our approach to to conversion rate. Um, there's a ton of learnings there. Um, and then alternatively, if you just want to learn a little more, um, and maybe aren't in, in the market for an audit report, but you still kind of want to learn more. We, uh, recently launched a, a private Slack community called the audit club. Um, it's first month free. So it's 50 bucks a month, but for the first month it's free and you can cancel whenever. So, um, I would highly recommend anyone who's interested just sign up in there. There's a ton of brilliant people in the D2C space, um, sorry, e-commerce space, um, everything from marketing professionals, a lot of different D2C founders, um, backgrounds in every field. And uh, there's just a ton of great conversation and learnings happening in there. So I would highly encourage anyone interested in in audit or CRO in general to to sign up for that and and check it out. Sweet. And the the Twitter handle was at I-T-S-O-D-D-I-T. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to follow you now on Twitter. Um, Perfect. Final thing before I let you get back on with your day. What is your favorite book and why? So admittedly, uh, I don't read a ton of books and I'm one of those people that buys a ton of books um, because I feel like someday I'm going to have time to read them all. And then I never do. And I never make time. And so I feel like a doofus anyway. Um, but recently uh, a good friend of mine and then one of my past business partners, uh, compiled this notion document of all these essays he was reading. Um, and just, he took, I don't know how long, but he just only read essays. 
Now, what makes up an essay? I don't, I don't know what exactly means an essay um, or what defines it as an essay, but I started reading them uh, through his list. And uh, one of them that really hit home with me was called um, the multidisciplinary approach to thinking um, by Peter Kaufman. And I think what really stuck with me is his mentality to, to say that you can really know everything um, if you can simplify or if you simplify the way that you learn it. Um, and that that's a very complex statement, but um, I would highly recommend anyone read it. I think that the main thing that, that stood out to me and the snippet that I'll, I'll share with everyone is he mentions that, you know, Albert Einstein once said that there was five, five levels of cognitive prowess. And uh, he's talking about how everyone wants to be, you know, that number, that number one. And uh, he, he said the five, the five uh, ascending levels were number five. So the lowest was to be smart. Number four was to be intelligent. Number three was to be brilliant. Number two was to be genius. And number one was to be simple. And I think <laughs> the reason that hit home with me so hard is because when I think back to everything that I understand truly, like understand in a way that I could have a conversation with you about it really simply without thinking, is the concepts that are simple and the concepts that are easy to understand. And I think that if you can make your product or your website or whatever, uh, meet that same kind of like simplicity and communication, it just means more people are going to understand it. And for me, that's like, you know, going back full circle to what, like you mentioned at the start of this uh, and most of your listeners being with Amazon is like one thing Amazon's done really well is they've made it really simple to list your products and, and guiding new users or shops to surface the right content. And they've made purchasing really simple. They've made e-commerce and, and buying things as simple as possible. And that's why they found success as complex as that obviously marketplace is. So I think for me, that just blew my mind to one, to see that that was a statement by Albert Einstein, but two, just, I just think it's just so brilliant to, to think of it that way, that the, the simplest solution or the simplest version of things is generally the most effective. That blew me away. That's the type of stuff I like. I want, <laughs> I want, I want to access that notion. But I, I, mean, I, I, it's not on Amazon. I, I Googled the multidisciplinary approach to thinking while you're, while you were breaking it down. I'm seeing Peter Kaufman. I'm seeing some blogs. So I, I think I'm going to be able to find it. But if, I, if the I, rest of the essays in that notion are like that, I have major FOMO right now. Yeah. I just sent it to you. I, I, I highly recommend reading every word of it. It's actually a, it's just a breakdown of a speech he did at a university. Actually, it's not a book or anything, but um it's, it's, it's brilliant. And it, again, it's one of those things that it's kind of long and, and there's a lot in there. So I read it, you know, maybe every few months now, but uh, highly recommend it. Sean, you've been amazing. We covered a lot of stuff. I'm glad we stuck to three and not four, even though there could have been hundreds <laughs> of different areas of, of yeah. fiction. Um, absolutely amazing. I look forward to having you uh, back on the show after I read this multidisciplinary approach to thinking and how you got super passionate breaking it down. Like I might read it and then have you back on so that we could break this down. I love how you tied it to Amazon. Um, thank you for sharing all of your knowledge that you've accumulated uh, across your career. Um, I look forward to collaborating on stuff in the future and we'll talk soon. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me.